morning. Um, my name is S.J. Lin, and I'm the campus minister for RUF WashU, and I just want to welcome you this morning. Um, if you don't, if, 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 if this is your first time here, if you're a visitor, um, you're being invited into a different kind of service today. Uh, it's a particularization service. Uh, this is where this church is being um, organized and um, installed as a body um, uh, of the presbytery. So um, this is a work of the presbytery, and we wanted to um, just make a note of that. Um, but like every worship service, we begin with a call to worship. Um, I was reading something this week that I think would be just, uh, just a short reflection that I hope would be helpful for you to meditate on. And uh, so I read this. The call to worship formally declares the opening of the service. We've hardly done anything yet. We've merely showed up and heard the call to worship, but already we've glimpsed what is implicit in this action. To be human is to be called. God is calling out and constituting a people who will look peculiar in this broken world because they've been called to be renewed image bearers of God. I think it's a good word for, for us this morning, uh, for a church being particularized. Because in the call to worship, God is calling us and saying, come, see me. Come into my presence. Come and receive my blessing. So let's receive this call to worship now from Psalm 86. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. And shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Let's continue in our worship by singing um, in Christ alone. If you are able, let's rise and stand together and sing.
Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all glory, honor, praise, and majesty belong to you. There is indeed none like you, holy and full of glory, and also a God who is gracious and abiding, calling us, your people, into your presence. Indeed, our only hope is found in you. For the last nine years, you have called this church into worship, and though this one is marked out a little differently, we need your help just the same. Help us now fill our hearts, renew our spirit and body, push back the things that would distract us, turn our unbelief that we might offer to you worship that is done in spirit and in truth, to the praise of your name and pleasing in your sight. Amen. Be seated. November seems to be a big month uh, for this church. Um, many momentous things kind of happen in the month of November. Um, for instance, uh, this church building uh, was kind of dedicated in the month of November, um, and there's excitement in a church building. Uh, and there's even uh, excitement in the particularizing of a church, uh, of a church body like we are seeing today. Um, but we should also not forget that it all begins in the building of the church, the very temple of God, in our, very, in, our, in our own hearts, that the spirit resides and dwells. Uh, and it's the makeover being done, this renovation project that God is doing in each of us. And it's incredible when you look at the Bible that even the angels look at us with awe because God is doing this with us, making us into the likeness of Christ. The confession of sin reminds us that this is what God wants to do in each of us. It's not a time where we promise to do better or to ask God for another chance, but it's a time that we can freely come to him and confess our sins before a God who desires for us to go to him for grace and mercy, for us to believe the gospel again and repent. So let's do that together. Um, we've been called into confession from Matthew 11. Let me read this for us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, we're gonna come, we come now into a portion of, uh, where we will confess together uh, corporately um, our sins, and then we'll have a time for a private, silent confession. So let's read this together. O oh Lord, you are our Father, and we are but earth and mire. You are our Creator, and we are the work of your hands. You are our Shepherd, and we are your flock. You are our Redeemer, and we are your inheritance. You are our God, and we are your children. Therefore, do not be angry against us to correct us in your wrath. Do not recall our sin to punish it, but chastise us gently in your kindness. Complete the work you have begun in us by your grace, that the whole earth may recognize that you are our God and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's silently pray.
brothers and sisters, lift up your heads and lift up your hearts. Um, hear God's assurance of pardon. This, this declaration of forgiveness over you comes from Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Sons and daughters of God, our creator, our shepherd, our redeemer, we are, uh, we are blessed not by our performances, but by every provision that's provided us in Christ. He has lavished us with his graces. So we go now into a time of offering back to God, acknowledging that all, we, all that we have is from him. And so as the ushers go around with baskets, let's, uh, let's sing together this song.
Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jenny Lynn Sweat. Is this the right time? Okay, you gave me a funny look. My, <laughs> I'm the uh, Director of Adult Ministries here at Restoration, and we are so glad to have you here this morning. If you are visiting with us, uh, we are especially glad to have you here. I know many of you have joined us this morning to celebrate with us, but if you find yourself here looking for a new ch church home or visiting friends, we're glad to have you too. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we'd love to be able to follow up with you. You can text your name and email address to the number that's on your screen or fill out one of the cards in the back of the seat in front of you and drop it in the box on the back cabinet. Um, we are going to just trust you to read your announcements this morning uh, at, at an appropriate time to know what's going on in the life of our church, but for now we are going to dismiss our children to children's worship as the rest of you stand and pass the peace of Christ to one another as people who have been redeemed. All right, I know it's going to be painful. Some of you will be relieved. I'm going to ask you to stop your conversations. We can continue these afterwards. We'll have a little bit of time for uh, coffee and ongoing conversation before uh, we continue our celebration after church today. But um, we are going to turn our attention to God's word now. As we continue in our uh, series in the Sermon of the Mount, this morning we are so delighted to have Reverend Andrew Vandermoss here with us. Um, Andrew was the planting pastor of Crossroads in Maplewood um, and served us for a number of years as our pastor um, as, he, as he pastored both sites. 
Um, we are delighted that he and his family and his basketball team um, have come down, l literally, you think I'm joking, I'm not, um, have come down to join us this morning. Uh, they are, um, Andrew and his family are now in Grand Rapids, Michigan at Christ Church um, there, and we're so glad to have them here this morning. But I'm going to read our scripture for us, um, and then Andrew will come. We are in Matthew chapter 6, um, verses 7 through 15. So Jesus is speaking here. Matthew 6, starting in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Jenny Lynn, and thank you all for uh, inviting me to be here for this special morning. can tell a lot of things have changed. There's certainly a lot of faces that I don't recognize, uh, and there's a few that uh, I do, so uh, great to be here on that. Uh, I could also tell things were changed when Dan was the one assigning me the passage. I was like, what? This is not right. This is... Uh, this is not working out the way that it should. So um, the name obviously has changed, Restoration, uh, Hardware, I mean Community Fellowship. Uh, now nah, it's an awesome name and uh, want to talk a little bit about that this morning. As we go through this passage, I, uh, you know, just a little update on our family. Lisa's here, the two youngest girls, uh, Ella and Zoe. And then we brought all the short members of our basketball team. Um, Josiah is married now. Uh, he is, uh, he and Morgan are off in Costa Rica. Uh, everybody else is doing okay. I, I just mentioned the marriage because we had so much wedding talk in our family over the last year or so. It, it uh, was a high topic of conversation. So you talked about everything from dress colors to food, all of those. We also talked about wedding rings. And many of you know, or some of you may know, that uh, the reason why you put the wedding ring on your left hand ring finger at least according to the ancient Egyptians, was that there is a vein that runs from this all the way to your heart. Uh, now, I'm sure the medical folks here will dispute that fact. Uh, I think that's been scientifically unproven. Uh, but uh, it's a nice idea, and that's what I'm going to try to do with this passage this morning, is I want to find the vein that runs through this passage. We're not going to be able to look at every word, uh, but as we trace our way through the, the passage that Jenny Lynn read for us, uh, see if we can find the vein that, in this case, leads to the very heart of the Father. I want to start with Woody Allen. Kind of a weird place to start. But in 2015, he was uh, awarded uh, with Emma Stone a, uh, an award at the Cannes Film Festival, and he was waxing eloquent and also a little bit morose. Uh, he was praising organized religion, uh, not because he believes it, 
but because it offers hope to the people. The fact that it doesn't really work, says Alan, doesn't matter. It makes you, if it makes your life better, if there is something to believe in, that's okay. There's no positive answer, he says, to the grim reality of life, no matter how much the philosophers talk to you, the priests, the psychiatrists. The bottom line is life has its own agenda. We're all going to wind up in a very bad position one day, not the same position, but a bad position. He went on to say that the role of the filmmaker was to try to show people that life has at least some meaning in the moment. Ultimately, though, he says, you cannot bring out any meaning of life without conning people, because in the end, it has no meaning. You're living in a random universe. You're living a meaningless life. Everything you've created in your life or that you do is going to vanish. Now, the reason why I start there is that it just, uh, it's so encouraging. Uh, the, the reason why I start there is that it just stands in such stark opposition to the mission of Restoration Community. You know, you read the mission on the very front of the bulletin. The very front of the bulletin, the mission says, we exist to pursue restoration of people, communities, cultures in the greatest, greater St. Louis area and then in the world through the transforming power of the gospel. You see how opposite those, those two ideas are? On the one hand, Woody Allen's saying, life has no purpose. There is no meaning. You're, you know, it's a big con. You sort of make through as best you can. But you're saying no. You know, God has called us together in the gospel for a purpose. He's called us together to make a difference in our community. He's called us to make a difference in the entire world. Uh, that is a very meaningful existence and one that I believe is worth pursuing. And like I said, I want to go to this Lord's Prayer and see if we can trace that vein because it is a prayer about, <coughs> sorry, it's preseason for basketball coaches as well and my voice is uh, not doing as well. Uh, the, it's a prayer that ultimately begins <coughs> this very first petition Thy kingdom come. Thy, thy kingdom come. It's a really bold request. So if you're an outline person, I have three points for you this morning. It's a bold request, a beautiful gospel, uh, and a benevolent father. All right? So the, the first point, though, is this idea of a bold request. Jesus teaches us when we pray to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. So again, going back to the idea of meaninglessness, thank you, uh, that is the opposite of meaningless. Uh, meaningless would say this, this kingdom is all there is. This kingdom is, is just going to pass away at some point. We are just going to pass into nothingness. Uh, there, there's nothing here. But what Jesus teaches us to pray is just the opposite. He acknowledges the presence of a kingdom that is different than what we may experience. And he teaches us to pray 
your kingdom come. Your kingdom come into this place, into this time. Your kingdom come to, to make a, a difference in, in this world. Of course, a kingdom presupposes a king. Uh, there is somebody who is bigger than you. Uh, there is somebody that is bigger than me. Sometimes that's the place where we actually have to start as we're living the Christian life. We have to discover that we are not the center of the universe. Uh, we need to discover that as young people. We need to discover that as we continue to go on, uh, as we experience the blessings of God. We always need to be reminded that there is a king and there is a kingdom uh, that is bigger than we are. <coughs> but there's a hope here. You know, as Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, he's teaching us to ask for things. He's teaching us to long for things and even to participate in the bringing of these things. Think about this. What might this look like in your life? I, I love how you put that in your uh, um, in your mission statement, we exist to pursue the restoration of people, communities, and cultures in the greater St. Louis area. You know, you all are, are coming from, from different places. Uh, you, you, some of you live close, some of you live far away, but you all go back to your communities. You all go to the places where you are, where the church gathered uh, on Sunday mornings, where the church scattered throughout the week. But we're still the church. And it's our job to make that kingdom known. One person defines the kingdom this way. Uh, the presence of God's kingdom in this age refers to the reign of Christ in the hearts and the lives of believers. And to the reigning presence of Christ in his body, the church. So that, listen, so you know, he's saying that the kingdom is within us individually as believers. It's within us corporately as a church. Why? So that, as we, so that we increasingly reflect his love, obey his laws, honor him, do good for all people, and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. That's our calling. We are called to, to bring the kingdom, as it were, individually and as a church into the various places where God calls us. Just think through what that means for your life, you know, vocationally. You know, we are all called to follow God. Some of you uh, follow him through a paid job. Uh, hallelujah for paid jobs, right? Uh, watching my kids get older and really feeling that. Uh, the, we, we follow him through a paid job. And as you work, maybe you're on the employer side, maybe you're on the employee side. But we bring the kingdom in those ways. You know, as an employer, we bring the kingdom when we treat our employees justly, when we uh, work our hardest to bring a creative product into the marketplace that blesses uh, God's, you know, blesses the community. As employees, when we don't waste time, when we work hard, uh, when we treat customers with respect, we're bringing the kingdom of God in those particular places. We, we do it in our homes, some of the you know, unpaid vocational work that we have, uh, where we, we show love to kids. I mean, that's not a given in this day and age, but we show them that they are cared for and that they are loved. 
when we uh, treat the members of our household, our spouses, people that live with us, whatever it might be, we, we treat them with care and respect that uh, an image bearer of Christ deserves. Uh, as we open our homes, as we practice hospitality uh, for the refugee, for the orphan, for all of these folks that you know we see on the news coming to America, so what does that mean? What does that mean for the church to be the church? You know, as we think through what it means to go to the polls this week, you know, that we are not defined by our party and our politics, but we're defined by the kingdom of God. And so that means sometimes our, our voting may look one way, and other times it may look another way, because we're not drawn by those things. We're drawn by the idea of bringing the kingdom. And what I would say is this and I think it's very encouraging, is that it makes a difference. Philip Yancey, in, uh, uh, in one of his books, said, if you want to know whether evangelicals, whether Christians, whether those who are purporting the kingdom of God are making a difference, consider this. The United Nations estimates that 3 million women and children are trafficked worldwide each year. I recently attended a conference of several dozen Christian organizations that work to liberate women from prostitutions, which in poor co nations constitutes a modern form of slavery. Delegates from 40 nations brought along some of the women they've rescued who told wrenching stories of abuse and credited the ministries of the Christians with setting them free and helping them find new careers. One organization alone shelters 500 young women freed from sex slavery in the brothels of Mumbai, India. Also in India, Christians have led the way in embracing, embracing the Dalits, formerly the untouchables, and other low castes by building schools and clinics to serve them. Millions from the lower castes have subsequently left the Hindu faith, which excludes them from its temples, <coughs> and they've found a home among Christians. Thanks to such activity in other countries, the word evangelical even has a very different connotation than it does in the U.S. In the Middle East, for example, the media focus on clashes between Muslims and Christians, that's what we experience here. Yet a friend of uh, mine who heads a ministry there says, evangelicals in the Middle East are thought of as people with the good news. The very definition of the word evangelical. They've been at the forefront of development, job training, human rights, religious freedom. They've been out in front in medicine and medical education at all levels. And they're known to care for the poor. Hospitals and schools founded by missionaries rank among the finest in the Arabian Gulf state. You see, that's the kingdom. The kingdom that comes through our our efforts every day, our, our thoughtfulness at home, at work, uh, around the world. That's why you are restoration community, because you want to see that kingdom come. And we believe that it can. We believe that when Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, that it's a prayer that he will answer, that it's a prayer that the Father delights in, that it's a prayer that we can go boldly and we can pray, thy kingdom come. But, and here's the 
sort of leading us to our next point. It's not simply something that we can do on our own, right? It's not simply something that we can do better, try harder, uh, put our more effort into it. It's not that kind of thing. That's why it has to be connected to the beautiful gospel. The bold request has to be connected to the beautiful gospel. Or to put it another way, you cannot disconnect the kingdom from the cross. And I think so often, uh, you know, from a worldly state of mind, and, you know, I'll say even liberal theologians, kingdom becomes such a massive theme. And we resonate with that because we want to see God's kingdom come. We want to see restoration coming into our world in various ways. But we make a mistake if we think that we can do it on our own. We make a mistake if we think we have the ability. We make a mistake if we do not keep the ideas and the dream of the kingdom connected to the realities of the cross. Notice what Jesus asks us to pray as well in, in, verse, 10, or in verse 12. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then later on in verses 13 and 14, he returns to the theme of forgiveness where he says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, at the heart of the Lord's prayer is the idea of forgiveness. And just like kingdom implies another kingdom and a king, <coughs> forgiveness implies brokenness. It implies a need, a deep heart need. S.J. led us in a time of repentance, confession, uh, and we were reminded that we fall short every single day. You know, big ways, some of you are thinking of sort of some of the, the things that you struggle with all the time. You know, some of them, you know, would categorize on the list of big nasty sins, right? And you can think of those things. But the reality is, all of us, you know, we're at the level of idolatry where we put other things above the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the approval of my boss or of my spouse or of my friends. You know, how many likes did I get on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it might be. We do all sorts of things that, that put us mindful of the fact that we need forgiveness, that we need the, the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross when he actually became sin and gave his life for us. We, we need that forgiveness. Uh, a while back, I ran across a story. Uh, it's a young woman, and I, I just think it illustrates this so well. Her name is, is Bryce Griffin, and I don't know all of her story. I know she found herself in a really bad place. She was not walking with the Lord. Uh, she found herself pregnant uh, with an unwanted pregnancy, and uh, her situation led her to pursue an abortion. Now, again, we don't know all of her story. I'm sure it was a very difficult, difficult time with her and a lot of compassion for a young woman that finds herself in that place. But listen to her testimony following that. She said, after the abortion and napping, 
I was raring to get back out to the bar scene. There was not enough whiskey in D.C. to satisfy me that night or any night for many months following. During those months, I knew nothing except that I wanted to die. Death was the only certain escape from the horrific pit that had formed in my soul. I begged. I begged for therapy. I screamed for help, but only inside. How could I admit to myself or to anyone what I had done? So I buried it. No one else needed to know. No one else needed to judge me as harshly as I had come to judge myself. I trudged through several more years, feeling happy at times and doomed at others. One day I was running and listening to a homily about confession. What the preacher was saying loosely was this, if you've had an abortion, confess it. Your child is praying for you in heaven. She had a Catholic background. Uh, she heard this. Her chest heaved with uncontrollable sobs. She ran home to arrange an appointment for confession with her dear priest. And there in the confessional, heaving with sobs once more, I truly expected to be struck by lightning. I now sat there acknowledging before God, before this priest, in my own words, that I was guilty of the worst sin possible, murder. But my dear priest smiled, and he handed me a box of tissues and says, God is so happy that you are here. You will be forgiven, and you are in need of restoration. Every one of us, whether that is our story or something less extreme, has to find ourselves at the foot of the cross. Every one of us has to find ourselves acknowledging before God, before others, before ourselves, which is sometimes the hardest of all, that our deepest need is to be made right with God. And that would be so difficult. I, I love what SJ said, you know, confession, repentance. It, it's not us deciding to do better next time. It's not us deciding to, um, you know, that we were going to try harder from now on. But it's acknowledging that we are completely wrecked and broken. It's acknowledging that we bring nothing to the table that, you know, as the prophet says, our, our best works are as filthy rags in his sight. We could never go there. We could never find ourselves at the foot of that cross unless we knew, thirdly, the benevolent Father. You know, as you read this passage, notice the, how it starts. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they will think they will be heard for their many words. But verse 8, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he says, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. You see, this is where that vein to the heart goes. It goes right to the heart of a father who loves, who loves. 
his children who come back to him in their brokenness. It, it's the heart of a father that will never turn away that prayer. It's the heart of a father who is so delighted that you have been to that place and you are looking to him alone that he is happy, happy to welcome you. I remember some of you that were here uh, a while ago, John Owen, he says this, the, the greatest sorrow or burden that you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness that you can do to him. Now, what are you, where's your mind going? Like, what are you filling in, right? Uh, what's the greatest sorrow, greatest burden, greatest unkindness? He finishes it by saying this, is not to believe that he loves you. That is the greatest unkindness that we can do to God is when we do not allow him to, to love us completely. And there are different ways that we can do that. We can do that in sort of the normal ungodly ways, right, where we run and we're going to do our own thing, sort of the younger brother from the parable. Those of you who are familiar with Luke 15, we go find ourselves in a far country and we don't want the Father's love and we are running away from it as far as we can. But we can also not believe in his love from a very religious, pious point of view. I mean, you can be in church every week. You can be walking through the motions of, wor of worship every week. A and you cannot be trusting his love because you're trusting in your own ability to make an impression on the Father. But that's not what he wants. He says, look at I, I love you. I gave my son for you. One writer says, if we want to know what God's love sounds like, you know, does he speak with a, a German in, in, intonation? Does he speak with a Dutch intonation, uh, Korean intonation? Now, he speaks with a filial intonation. It's the love of a son given. And so God loves you not because you are worthy in and of yourself, but because he has decided in the counsels of peace to give his son as a sacrifice for you. So where do we go? Does the world have meaning? Absolutely it does. It has meaning at the most intensely personal level. You are loved by the heavenly father, you are in relationship with the God of the universe. There can be no more greater meaning than that. So young, old, uh, middle-aged, tall, short, brown, white, whatever your case may be, hear the voice of Jesus that says, rest in my love. Know that. And may that be the ballast in your tank. But then, go out and share that. Proclaim it. Be restoration community, both individually in your homes, in your family life, in your communities, with your friends, in your vocation, all of that. But do it as well. 
as we proclaim this great love throughout the world. Do it as well as we go to India and as we go to Africa and we go to South America and London, as we go to the secular, as we go to the pagan, whatever it might be. Proclaim the love of God given through His Son, the filial inclination that He loves us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Word. Thank You for the, the mission that You have given this church, the call that You have placed on them. We thank You that we do not live in a meaningless universe but rather we are filled with meaning because you have filled us with yourself, with the love of the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for this group of people that is gathered here. I ask that you would equip them uh, each and every day. They're going to go from here to home, to work, to their communities. Father, may they truly bring the kingdom. May they be emissaries of that kingdom, ambassadors for you. Father, we pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Together as God's people saying, amen. I want to welcome you again. My name is SJ, if you weren't here in the beginning of the service. Um, and I'm a, a regular attender with my family here, um, here at Restoration. And um, I, I do want to welcome you. Uh, this is a not only not only a worship service, but this is a particularization service, um, and it means that we are uh, that this church is being um, particularized, being organized, and installed as a particular church body. And um, so, uh, this morning I actually come as a as a commis commissioning member uh, of the presbytery because this church body belongs to a wider body called the Presbytery. So um, I do want to make a note of some of the other commission, uh, commission members. So uh, we have Dr. Phil Douglas, who's up front here, um, and he's part of M&A, uh, Mission to North America, which oversees a lot of the domestic work uh, of the denomination, and um, especially with the church planting. Um, we have Reverend Chris Smith, who's from, uh, who pastors at Covenant Presbyterian Church, um, and uh, this church kind of traces its lineage back to back to there, um, you know, if you go back far enough. And um, so we want to welcome him. And uh, we have Elder Mark Peck, uh, who's um, an elder at Cross Crossroads Presbyterian Fellowship in Maplewood. So I did want to make a note of that. Um, and with them, you will hear um, you'll hear vows being. Uh, being, being exchanged, uh, prayers being spoken, laying of hands and, and charges, um, and all this because uh, God not only wants to call us as individuals, but he calls us into a body. He works through communities, and this is what God desires to do. And so we're going to actually begin this portion with a question to the congregation, to all the members um, who belong to this body. So um, I'm going to read the question for us, and uh, if you agree, I want a hearty I do, okay? So this is a question to the congregation. Do you, in reliance on God for strength, solemnly promise and covenant that you will walk together as an organized church on the princ principles of the faith and order of the Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church in America 
and that you will be zealous and faithful in maintaining the purity and peace of the whole body? If so, please say, I do. Let me pray for, pray for us. Lord, we are yours. Uh, you are the living, we are the living temples, and you are, and Christ himself is the cornerstone. You are our shepherd, and we are the sheep of your pasture. In you, we live and move and have our being. We bless you for calling us to be a holy people, living for you in service to each other for the sake of your world. And so as they have sought reliance upon your strength, we lift up this congregation to you and ask that you be God to them, that they might follow after you into your kingdom and be a blessing, to be salt and light, that they would experience the manifold gifts of grace which you generously give to be freely experienced and, and shared in this body. As, as a church, may they experience the gospel together and embody it to one another and extend it to their neighbors as we have heard being preached in, in, in your word, sharing the life-giving restoration that you bring to their lives in Jesus and, that you, and the restoration that you promised to fully bring when he returns. Lead them into purity and peace all their days to accomplish your purposes in the world. We pray in the name of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, you've answered the uh, question, and so now I get to do something that uh, gives me great joy, and I do so with great thanksgiving for what God has done among you. It's a great privilege now to declare this and to pronounce this as a member of Missouri Presbytery. I now pronounce and declare that you are constituted a church according to the word of God and the faith and order of the Presbyterian Church in America. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Good morning, I'm Ruling Elder Mark Peck from Crossroads Presbyterian Fellowship. I'd like to invite uh, the deacons and elders to come join me here on the platform as we uh, ask you a few questions, and we'll, we'll hear some straight answers from you. It turns out that the questions to be asked to both uh, ruling elders as well as deacons <coughs> are of a kind, uh, in fact, all but the same. And uh, therefore, I'm going to ask them once, but I'm going to ask each group to respond in turn. So uh, don't worry, I'll try to guide you through it, um, but just listen closely. Don't get uh, fallen behind. I have uh, six questions here, and uh, the answer to each of them, uh, fortunately, is I do. So it'll be easy to keep up. Um, Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Elders, do you? Deacons, do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time 
you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow. Elders, do you? Deacons, do you? Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? Elders, do you? Deacons, do you? Do you accept the office of ruling elder or deacon in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to endure the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? Elders, do you? Deacons, do you? Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Elders, do you? Deacons, do you? Do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church? Elders, give me a hearty I do. And deacons? I have a question for you, congregation. Do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive these brothers as ruling elders and as deacons? And do you promise to yield them all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which these offices, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles them, do you? Thank you, Mark. This, uh, this is a privilege to be with you as a congregation uh, for this very important step and uh, in your life as a fellowship. I, I'm going to uh, ask that Daniel Song uh, come and just stand right here. And we have questions for him, which you'll see also in your order of worship. Dan, please respond to these questions. Are you now willing to take charge of this congregation as their pastor? Agreeable to your declaration and accepting its call, are you? I do. Do you conscientiously believe and declare, as far as you know your own heart, that in taking upon you this charge, you're influenced by a sincere desire to promote the glory of God and the good of the church, do you? I do. Do you solemnly promise that by the assistance of the grace of God, you will endeavor faithfully to discharge all the duties of a pastor to this congregation and will be careful to maintain a deportment in all respects, becoming a minister of the gospel of Christ, agreeable to your ordination engagements, do you? By the grace of God, I do. Okay. I'm going to ask now that uh, all of you who are members of Restoration that uh, you would stand and respond to these questions. Do you, the people of this congregation, continu continue to profess your readiness to receive Daniel Song, whom you have called to be your pastor, do you? Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love, and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline, do you? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction 
and spiritual edification, do you? Do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor, that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised, and to furnish him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you, do you? Thank you. Please be seated. We're going to now move to the installation of uh, the elders and deacons and pastor. Come on forward. Any uh, ordained ruling elders or teaching elders who are present, whether you are a member of this congregation or other, are welcome to come and join us on the podium, on the stage for the laying on of hands. We will um, lay a hand upon them. Begin by praying for uh, the ruling elders, and then um, I yield to Chris. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for bringing us together in this time and in this place to be gathered as your people, to worship you, to be fed by the word and at the table, and also to install these men whom you have called to lead your church. We thank you for how you have carried Restoration Community Church through its many phases of growth up until this point, and we look forward eagerly to see what you will do in uh, her midst in the years to come. Father, we thank you especially for raising up these men, these ruling elders. And we ask you, Father, that you would strengthen them in the inner man, that you would fit them and equip them to minister the gospel, to uh, act faithfully and discharge our duties as under-shepherds of the flock, to be an encouragement to the pastor, to be an encouragement to the congregation, to reprove those who are in error, to encourage those who are faltering, to give comfort to those who are grieving, to be and abide in and among the people just as you came and abided among us. Uh, Lord Jesus, we pray that as under shepherds, these men would be repentant, would be indeed chief repenters among the congregation, that they would set an example by their life that demonstrates the grace is paramount in their consideration, and they give no consideration to reputation or esteem or honor by men, but instead seek to serve and uh, to care for the congregation according to the charge you have given them. Father, strengthen them, bond them together in brotherhood for one another and in care for the church. We pray that you would do this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And Lord, we continue to pray as we give thanks for these who you have called to serve as deacons. We would ask that you would bless these deacons that they may know true humility and be faithful in their service for you. Remind them as they serve of the example of the Lord Jesus Christ who in fulfilling the ministry you gave to him came to serve rather than to be served, sought the needs of others rather than seeking his own, ministered to people without prejudice and with courage and determination. We ask, Lord God, that you would pour generously into their lives your Holy Spirit, fill them with your love and compassion so that they may see their brothers and sisters even as you see them, and equip them to carry out the duties that they have been appointed to fulfill. Lord, we pray for these deacons, and indeed for all your people, that you would fill them and us anew with your Holy Spirit, so that we will be hearers and doers of your word, ministers to people, friends of the poor, voices of the voiceless, and servants of our Lord Jesus. And we ask this in his name and for his glory. Amen.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have raised up Daniel and Hannah as well, and uh, that you have uh, called Daniel to this ordained ministry, and we install today to this great fellowship that you have so graciously raised up. And uh, we pray for the, uh, the works of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience goodness and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control would be evident in his life because you indwell him and uh, empower him. And especially in the inevitable challenging times that uh, lie ahead in the life of any church and uh, of any pastoral family. And so we depend upon you to be daily at work uh, drawing him and his family and this church uh, ever closer in their experience of Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It's time to declare again. I'm sorry, I got into the congratulatory mode, forgot about the declarative mode, what I need to be doing now. It is with uh, great joy that I make this declaration. I'm going to do one for the ruling elders, one for the deacons, and also one for Daniel as the pastor. I now pronounce and declare that Brian Berkey, Leo Shu, Han Pack, and John Peters have been regularly elected and installed as ruling elders in this church agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such they are entitled to all encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now for the deacons, I now pronounce and declare that John Cho, Jamie Chu, Adam Hancock, and Charles Liu have been regularly elected and installed as deacons in this church, agreeable to the life sorry, agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America. And as such, they are entitled to all encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now finally, for Daniel, I now pronounce and declare that Daniel's song has been regularly elected and installed as pastor of this congregation, agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such, he is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have.
the privilege to offer what we call a charge uh, to your pastor and also to your officers. And I'm going to include the staff as well. Uh, it, uh, this is a, a great privilege because uh, not only was Daniel one of my students, but uh, most of your elders and, uh, and at least one of your deacons uh, at Covenant Seminary. So this is a great privilege. Uh, please turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. These are two verses that have guided my life and ministry over the last 50 years. So I'm going to draw on this passage to offer this charge to Dan and uh, your officers and staff. So Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he, the Lord, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So uh, first, the Lord gave to his church the apostles and prophets. These were the special messengers of Jesus during the first century who were empowered to speak without error the very word of God that became the New Testament. Then the Lord gave to the church evangelists, those who proclaim the gospel and are especially gifted at leading people to Christ. Then he gave shepherds to the church as those responsible for the care and guidance of you, Christians, in this congregation. But he also gave teachers, those who provide instruction from the scriptures to you. So these spiritual gifts have been given by the Lord to Dan and to the officers and staff of the church in order to equip you, the members of this church, as the saints for the work of ministry. Now, <clears throat> to equip means to help someone or something <clears throat> become fully prepared for a task. The word is used, <clears throat> excuse me, in Mark 1 to describe the work of James and John to fishermen who were mending their nets, fishing nets, by repairing the holes uh, created by the jagged rocks on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. These two men became Jesus' followers, and for the next three years, the Lord mended and repaired and prepared them for ministry by teaching and shepherding them so that they would be fully equipped for a lifetime of service for the purposes of God. In other words, Jesus discipled these men. When you study the time sequence of the four Gospels, it becomes apparent that Jesus spent the three years of his public ministry, but especially the last ten months before his crucifixion, almost exclusively with James and John and the other ten disciples, equipping and discipling them for the work of ministry. He demonstrated the principle referred to often as focusing on the few to reach the many. In his ministry, Jesus focused on equipping the three, Peter, James, and John, and then the twelve, who in turn equipped the seventy and the hundred and twenty. 
who in turn equipped the 500 and the 3,000 who became followers of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. So on the basis of this passage, I remind you, Dan, and you, the officers of the church, and Jenny Lynn as a member of the staff, that you're entrusted with the gifts of evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and thereby called to devote your time to using the scripture the Lord has provided through the apostles and prophets to equip this congregation as saints of God for the work of ministry. The Bible doesn't use the word saints the way our Catholic friends use it to describe someone who's especially holy. Rather, the term saint refers to those who belong to God and are set apart for God's purpose over a lifetime of service. So this does not mean that you as officers of the church are to leave your work in the marketplace or the home and uh, go into, quote, full-time Christian service. Rather, Dan is called to train you to engage in full-time Christian service in your homes, in community, and workplace, and at the same time, equip and disciple the members of the congregation to exercise their particular spiritual gifts, talents, and heart ministry passions in their homes, in marketplace, and community. <clears throat> but, how did Dan, <clears throat> but how did Dan, the officers, staff members, and you, the congregation, know specifically what your Christian service should be. Twenty-two years ago, I assembled a packet I called Equipping the Saints, named after this passage. And in this packet, I gathered six diagnostics that I used in a Sunday school setting at the church I was serving on weekends at the time in order to assist the officers and people of that church in discovering the spiritual gifts God had given them as members of the body of Christ. The first diagnostic focused on the four scripture passages that list the 18 spiritual gifts from Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, and here in Ephesians 4. The other diagnostics help the people discern their talents and heart ministry passions. I took Dan through these same diagnostics about 13 years ago when he was my student at the seminary. And when we met to discuss the results, it was clear that he was gifted to be a pastor teacher. I've had several of you, as I said, on uh, as my students who are serving on a staff and as officers of the church. And I took you through the same process as well. So in summary, Dan and you, the officers and staff members, have the responsibility for building up this part of the body of Christ called Restoration Community Church which according to verse 13 means equipping the members of this church to grow to maturity by assisting you in discovering, developing, and using your spiritual gifts, talents, and heart ministry passions to the glory of God in your homes, community, and marketplace 
and thus fulfill God's purposes for your lives in the life of this church. May God bless you in doing so. Well, that was a charge for the pastor and the officers. The congregation don't think you get off the hook. You get a charge as well. And I want to, rather than just listing a number of marching orders for you, I want to let the charge emerge from a scene in the Gospels. And we're going to look at John chapter 20. You can either listen or you can turn there. It's up to you. John chapter 20, the first 18 verses. This is what you read. Now, on the first day of the week, this is that very first Easter morning, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. I want you to picture that scene for a moment. It's early on that first Easter morning. It's dark. The stone is gone. The tomb is empty. In the next several verses, what we read about is Mary discovering that that tomb is empty and in confusion and fear and maybe disappointment, maybe hopelessness, she runs back to the disciples to give them the news that there's something wrong. That the tomb is empty. And when she does, immediately John and Simon Peter, they run to the tomb to see for themselves what's going on. This, is it true that the tomb is empty? They discover the same thing as they look in the tomb. John stands at the mouth of the tomb. Peter enters into the tomb. And what he finds there is the grave clothes. They're laying on a slab in the tomb. And he finds the head covering. They're neatly folded up. Uh, and they don't know what to make of it. Simon Peter and John then return back home, and Mary stays at the tomb, however. You read this in verse 11. This is what Mary does after the other two disciples return home. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will, I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary? She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. How does this scene on that first Easter day provide a charge for you as the Congregation of Restoration Church? Well, I want to just highlight three things out of this passage. One, I want you to notice what Mary does when she arrives at the tomb and finds the tomb empty, and she stands there in confusion, fear, and disappointment. She immediately seeks consolation in the company of other believers. She returns to those who followed Jesus along with her, and gives them the news. She, she brings to them her fear, her disappointment, and her confusion. 
and together then they make a trip back to the tomb where we find the second thing that Mary brings, not just her fear and disappointment and in finding consolation with other believers, but we also find that as Simon Peter and John, as they venture back home, four times there in the text it's emphasized to us that Mary is weeping. Mary brings to the empty tomb and to the Savior who will meet her there, she brings her tears there. Her honest disappointments, her hopelessness, and she stands there and she weeps until, until she hears her name called. She even has a, a bit of a conversation with who she thinks is the gardener. The person who she thinks is responsible for Jesus not being there, actually he is responsible for Jesus not being there. But not for the reason that she thinks he's, he's been raised from the dead. But it's when she hears her name, when she's been called by name, by the Savior, that she turns and she recognizes him. And we know what she does. That the narrator doesn't say it explicitly, but Jesus says, don't cling to me, which means she, she embraced him. She grabbed him right away. The third thing, though, that happens is that after Jesus talks with her, he says, don't cling to me, but I want you to do something. I want you to go back. And I want you to tell the brothers that I'm ascending. It's going to be different now. I'm not going to be here present with you. From now on, my presence will be through the Spirit. And so tell them what I'm telling you now, and that is that, that I'm ascending to the Father. And you know what Mary does? She obeys Jesus. She meets the resurrected Lord. She goes back and she tells the disciples, the rest of, of his followers, what it is that she's seen and all the things that Jesus told her to do. Now, I want you to think for a minute. Who is Mary? Well, if we, if we read in, in Luke's gospel, in chapter 8, we learn that Mary is a woman who was, uh, who was possessed by a number of evil spirits. And she met Jesus in the midst of his ministry, and he delivered her from that oppression. She met, she met the Lord Jesus, and she experienced... Uh, a release from oppression, forgiveness of sins. She experienced restoration at the hands of her Savior. But that's not all that Mary is. Do you know who else Mary is? Mary is the church in miniature. You see, what began that day at the mouth of the empty tomb, Jesus was beginning the work of his church in this one disciple in Mary, and he delivers this miniature great commission to her, Go back and tell what you've seen and teach them what I've told you. And right there in miniature, Mary obeys Jesus. Even though she's fearful, even though she's been weeping, she's confused, she doesn't know what it all means, she goes back and she delivers that news. She, she tells the story of her transformed life when she teaches all the things that Jesus has commanded her to tell her fellow disciples. Mary, Mary is the church in miniature. And what Jesus is doing there in Mary is he's beginning to do in Mary what he will do for his church, which is his bride. What Jesus is doing in miniature and, and just beginning to do in Mary there is what he has been doing and is doing and will continue to do through you, Restoration Church. 
as you pursue the restoration of people and communities and cultures all throughout St. Louis, all throughout the world, wherever it is that the Lord sends you. And he will do that through the transforming power of the gospel, which Mary experienced and you have experienced too. So this is the charge that I give you. To come to the mouth of the empty tomb with fears, disappointments, tears, doubts, to find consolation with those who also stand at the mouth of the empty tomb because they too have followed Jesus. And then to take your story, your story of a transformed life because you've met the Lord Jesus Christ and that all that he teaches you, to take that out from this place and to continue the work of extension that he's called you as a church to. Amen.
to me. You may be seated. Boy, we Presbyterians sure do things decently in good order, don't we? All of that questioning and charging and declaring. But now we get to eat and feast. You know, the things that we've been talking about this morning, the themes that we've seen come through, really find their culmination here at the table. Because here we get to taste and see that the Lord is good. Here we, we see that filial intonation of the Father's love, you know, where we experience the, the Son who was given for us. And we're reminded of the forgiveness of sins that is ours in Jesus Christ. But here also we see that other petition that we didn't talk about this morning. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, as we come and eat, we are reminded that God is enough. Today and tomorrow, Tuesday and Thursday and Friday, we come back again next Sunday God is enough. He meets us and he gives us that strength to go out and to fulfill the charges that have been given to us, whether it be an officer or congregant, uh, to be the church, to see his kingdom come through us. So if you are a believer, if you've made that public profession of faith, aligning yourself with a Bible-believing church, you are welcome to come to this table and to eat and be nourished, to be strengthened, and to know, to know that the love of God is yours just as surely as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup. For God doesn't give us a sign that is different than the reality. The reality is so connected to what we do that he strengthens us, he feeds us, he refreshes us. He makes glad the heart of man uh, through the cup that we drink. So let me pray as we set these elements apart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this table that is yours. It's not ours. It doesn't belong to Restoration Community. It doesn't belong to the Presbyterian Church in America. It belongs to you, and you have invited believers everywhere to come and to take and to eat, to remember and to believe. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to us this morning, that you would remind us that we belong to you, that you would remind us that you give us the strength that we need as we go day by day, and that you would propel us out into this world to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you again. And Father, we pray for those who do not know you in a way that we have come to know you. Lord, we know that there is room at this table for many more. And for that person who is here this morning who does not know or has not responded to the call of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray they would find themselves at the mouth of the empty tomb and that they would know that Christ died and rose again for them. As well. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. The night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took the bread and breaking it, he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, 
which is given for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, our Lord took the cup. Giving thanks again, he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. Both elements will be passed in succession. The bread first will be followed by the cup. We'll hold both of them so that we can partake together as the body of Christ. Outer ring is grape juice. Uh, for those of you that are concerned about that, the outer ring is grape juice. The inner ring is wine. I invite the elders to come and uh, may you serve us well.
It really is a joy to eat this meal with you, some of my favorite people in the world, but even more than that, know the love of the Father. Take and eat, remember and believe. The psalmist says, we raise the cup of blessing, the wine that gladdens the heart of man. May you take and drink, and may your heart be glad this morning, because what Christ has done for you and what he has done for his world, take and drink. Oh Lord, we give you thanks for your goodness poured out on us in Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for the sealing of that goodness to us through these elements, not mere symbols, but so attached to the reality they are that we know that you have given yourself for us, that you love us, and that you strengthen us and nourish us and you send us out into this world that your kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven, that we may be restoration community. Thank you for that sealing. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You're doing the benediction. God's blessing this morning. Uh, we have, as we've been fed at the table, uh, I invite you, for those that have RSVP, to join us at uh, Spazio's. There are some maps available for you outside. Uh, if, you, if it takes you longer than a minute to get, to get there, you are lost. <laughs> so grab one of these if you're afraid of that. Uh, but let's continue in the blessing that God has for each and every single one of us as we go out this morning and this week. I gave this benediction at a retreat, and I'll give it to us this morning from our Father, who dearly loves us. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. amen. May you go in that peace and enjoy your Lord's day.